What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent podcast for queer women of color. I am Money, the black Twitter-approved educator. Oh, right. Yeah, (laughs) the pedagogical princess. (laughs) And I am Nikita, and I'm still thirsty for Lizzo's juice. Oh, I I thought you were going to say something else. What do you think I was going to say? I don't know. Lizzo's got a lot of things that you can be thirsty for. Yep, and I'm thirsty for each and every single one of them. All right, let's drop the intro before this gets any more filthy. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every time darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sister, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love, you love, Alrighty, and we are excited to announce that this episode is sponsored by Purple Panties. Ooh. You want to know what Purple Panties is? Uh, yes, I'm waiting on the edge of my seat. <laughs> okay, so Purple Panties is a new podcast on Stitcher. From the best-selling author, Zane. Oh, my God. I love Zane. I grew up on Zane's books. What, what Zane books you was reading? Oh, my God. I will never forget this. I was I was simultaneously reading Skyscraper and um, Sex Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> and I had hid them under my pillow. <laughs> my mom found both of them. And she made me return them to the library. <laughs> Well, luckily, if you're listening to this podcast, no one can take this new podcast, Purple Panties, away from you. And you can listen to this new erotic fiction podcast on Stitcher. And it's a podcast that follows three women who go against the grain. And they navigate their personal and professional lives in Atlanta, where the sun ain't the only thing that's hot. That's right. And if you were anything like me in seventh grade, you already know Zane writes the best books from bestsellers, Addicted, Afterburn, and The Heat Seekers. Y'all already know she's going to give you the nasty content you want. <laughs> so the first episode is out now free. So after you listen to Queer Walk, you should go over and listen to Purple Panties. So just search Purple Panties or Zane in whatever podcast app you listen to and make sure you subscribe. That's right. And tell a Queer Walk sent you. All right, Nikita, where can folks like find us and listen and do all the things? They can find us on Twitter. At Queer Walk Pod. We have the same handle on IG, also known as Instagram. You can also find us on the Book of Faces, a.k.a. Facebook. That is Queer Walk, colon, the podcast. You can also find us on Tumblr, QueerWalk.com. And you can also find us wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Google, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts app, or CastBox. Money. Mm-hmm. Like I always say, you and I, we're the co-hosts of this show. This is true. But the show wouldn't be possible without a community 
of listeners and community contributors. This is also How true. can people mm-hmm. contribute to this here premier queer podcast? All right. Well, y'all can contribute and continue this here program in one of two ways. The first is monetarily. You can give us a single time donation at the Cash App, which is dollar sign queer walk pod, P-O-D. Or you can become a sustainer by giving us a monthly contribution over on the Patreon. Which That's is- committal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which is, you really riding Lizzo's wave right now. Oh, boy. Uh- <laughs> I'd ride it till. <laughs> okay. Okay, shut up. <laughs> We already opened the episode. I know <laughs> I know this episode is sponsored by Purple Panties. But, um, oh, so you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D. We have some suggested donations that you can give monthly, but you can give as little or as much as your budget allows. The second way that you can contribute to this program is by loving us out loud. Do the R's. Rate, review, request, repost, retweet, and reply. Use the hashtag QueerWalkPod, because apparently y'all been using that and didn't tell us, didn't let nobody know. But I'm glad that you're there. Continue to use it. Um, share with your friends. Let folks know. Show somebody how to use a podcast app so that they can listen if you think that they would love QueerWalk. Um, some other ways, if... You've already done the R's and you already broke us off with a little bit of coin. Uh, we still have t-shirts for sale. No smalls. Sorry. sorry. Uh, <laughs> so you, we still have Mental Moment with Money shirts available. Or um, Nikita's doing a little shoulder wiggle because she's currently wearing the Glucose Guardian uh, design. So we yeah. got both of those. And they come in black. And not just yellow, but Queer Rock yellow. Exactly. Send us an email with your Curve Chronicles, your topics... Oh, do, would you like to you usually say a little bit more? No, you, no, you're on a roll today. I'm digging it. All right. If y'all want to send us something a little bit more personal, a little bit more intimate, you can send it at the Gmail, QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. I'm so glad I rubbed off on you in that way. Go ahead. What's the other way that they can contribute? Well, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. So if you would like to see us flued out or trunned out to your local Stonewall events, or uh, pride turnips, you can send us a message at queerwalkpod at gmail.com and we will arrange to be flued or trunned out. Not bust out. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't no mega bust bitches. <laughs> ain't no greyhound gays over here. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, Nikita, we're going to move it on along to the... Queer walk, queer walk, queer walk of the week. All right. So you want me to do it? Yes, go ahead. Who okay. is Okay. Queer walk of the week this week is director, writer, and activist Neka Anuora. Who's Neka? Okay. So when I read Neka's bio, you're going to be like, oh, that Neka. Because, okay, let me tell you what happened, right? So I went down to the city this weekend to see a screening. Well, actually two screenings. Of Rafiki, the movie that oh my um, god, I'm yes, so we've been talking about. I yes, know. I know. Um, if y'all get a chance to see um, Rafiki, if it's screening near you, uh, please go see it. It is such a beautiful movie, life changing. My favorite movie. Um, and Neka was doing the Q and A with the director Wanuri. 
So, um, when they introduced her, I was like, oh. Because it's a lot of NECA's, right? Right. But when she walked out, I was like, that NECA! Um, so, <laughs> just, a, just a little bit of bio of NECA's accomplishments of why she's Queer Walk of the Week. Outside of facilitating a very uh, tumultuous and challenging Q&A. She did it beautifully. Sounds like motherfuckers uh, was real raggedy. Motherfuckers was out of pocket. Out of order. Anyway. <laughs> so, NECA is a Nigerian-American um, award-winning documentary filmmaker, television producer, and activist. She first sort of, like, bust onto the scene with her documentary called The Same Difference. And it's a documentary about internalized homophobia with um, black uh, lesbians. And um, I, I saw that documentary. Uh, that was a while ago. And so, she's been around for a minute. Uh, that documentary actually got nominated for a GLAAD award in the category of best documentary. And since then, she's just been fucking it up on the scene ever since. (laughs) Um, she, most recently, oh my gosh, y'all. Um, most recently she, uh, worked on another docu-series, uh, called My House. And if y'all have seen it. You've been like the biggest fan of My House. I had, I literally had a viewing party, uh, the night before, Pride in Syracuse last summer for My House. It's such an amazing series. If you have Vice um, or Vice Land, the the channel, please watch it. Thank you, NECA, for your incredible work on that. And currently, she's like working alongside Dee Reese, who you might recognize that name because Mariah. Damn. <laughs> and um, another Oscar-winning producer on an upcoming feature film called uh, The Last Thing He Wanted. And on top of all this shit, she is She still, do more? Yes. She is still contributing to the community. Currently, she's working on a, a, a global campaign dedicated to improving equitable health care and housing for lesbians. Damn. So, um, on every front, NECA is showing up for her community. And, you know, we some community-ass bitches over here. And we just wanted to celebrate, uplift, and shout her out. Um, you can find her on Instagram and you might want to find her on Instagram. If you know what I mean. No wink, money. What do you wink, mean? What do wink. you mean? Spell it out. <laughs> At Nike's Nay. And I'll put, um, the, like, the link, handle. Yeah, the handle in the description box. So, yes. Shout out NECA. Shout out to NECA. Representing. Up, oh, we need them dollars. I said I like it like that. Become a patron tomorrow. I said I like it like that. Get a shout out on Queer I Walk. I said I like it like that. Community yeah, event. I high. said I like it like that. All right. Nikita, can you tell folks what the community contributor segment is, just in case they don't know? I like how you cut me off before I could do the horn. Yes. <laughs> I had to jump in early. Anyway, so the community contributor section is where we just... Give some shout outs to people and listeners who have been supporting this queer white community. Yes. How can you become a community contributor? You can contribute to the community. Uh, send us like a message, become a patron, give us a donation, tweet, comment. Very easy. It's very easy to become a community contributor. It is. So, we are so excited. The the patrons, new patrons are lit. The patrons are popping. <laughs> so, we want to give a shout out to Allie. Thank you so much, Allie, for becoming a new patron. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Chris and Berna. Are they a couple? They, um, some kind of a team? They they contributed together. See, that's some community. That's extra that is community. extra community contribution. Because Berna was like, Chris, if you 
going to get your ass over here and donate to this community. So shout out to they Chris like, and Berta. I got a dollar. You got a dollar. We got $2 to contribute to Queer Rock. <laughs> and then also, lots of love to Uzo. Thank you so Thanks, much. Uzo. And then shout out to Lauren. Oh, yes. For that very healthy <laughs> monthly you. donation. Thank we you, appreciate Lauren. that. Money. Mm-hmm. You want to tell us who gave some donations on the cash app? I wasn't sure if you were saying my name or if you were t- talking about the donations. Um, so we also want to give a huge shout out uh, for the folks who hit us off on cash app with the one-time donations. Um, thank you, Crystal and Shyla. The homie? For, yeah, and Shyla actually left a message that said, had a gr- have a great time at Pod and Live in Washington. Oh, that is so, so sweet. Thank you so much. That donation is definitely going to help us... Uh, Take the train and not not the Megabus. If you can't tell, we're just so adamantly opposed to the bus after a really harrowing experience. We we cannot take the bus anymore. If there is a bus to heaven, I would just be like, I'm good. I'm I'm just gonna (laughs) let me know how to work out. out. I'll just wait for the thing. Snap. <laughs> All right. I also wanted to read a tweet from Brown Girl Grad. Please do. All right. So uh, Brown Girl Grad tweeted, I recently got put on to Queer Walk Pod via Bag Ladies. Also a recent find. You know, shout out to Lena and Stephanie, the homies over at Indeed. Bag Ladies. If you don't listen to their podcast, you go need ahead to and be. listen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so Brown Girl Grad continues, to be honest, I wasn't trying to find a new pod and kept trying not to listen, but they got me and a bitch is really about to scroll down to 2016 and start from the beginning. (laughs) That is so sweet. It is. And, um, I actually didn't even know that we started in 2016. Yeah, I saw that tweet. I was like, where's she going to listen to? (laughs) She's going to listen. Girl, both of us are just a mess and trifling. garbage. But this this is true because it's the third Pod and Live NYC. And I was, that would make sense. Yeah, Queer yeah. Rock was like, what, like four or five episodes of the first Pod and Live. Oh so. my gosh. Yeah. Maybe a little bit deeper than that. I was just inconsistent in the first, first few months. So as you work back through, <laughs> you'll see that the program has dramatically improved. You will, you will hear the development and so, the growth. So, yes. We, you know, we stand growth over here, and that includes ourselves. Indeed. So, <laughs> thanks, Brown Girl Grad. Nikita, you want to kick us off with the new reviews? I do. Okay, so first of all, we have over 200 reviews oh, right. on iTunes now. Y'all came through. Y'all really did. and We appreciate that. I feel like we should give an acceptance speech or something because we're just really grateful and really thankful for the reviews. Sorry, I keep thinking. Every time I've got like a Pavlovian response to this section because every time we get here, I think about Kamala Harris. Um, anyway, <laughs> so the first review is from By In A Sea Of Bougie Negroes. And the review title is Two of the Best, Five Star. By In a Sea of Bougie Negro says, Shout out from Salt Lake City, Utah. In parentheses. Yes, we here. LOL. <laughs> Loving this podcast. From a cishet black male, the mental moment and worker wordsmith are three fists in the air. Three fists in the air. Thank you. 
All right. That's so sweet. I'm so glad that there's a cishet black man listening to the show. In of all places, Utah. <laughs> so share it with the other three people, black people. <laughs> That's what the three black fists are for. Yeah. <laughs> the three of us. <laughs> all right. Do you want to read the second review? Sure. So the second review comes from Queen Koya. I wonder who this could be. So, I don't know. I bet she's like a local singing celebrity. A phenomenal doula. Probably. Just general bad Probably bitch. out here doing all kind of shit to improve black health and well-being and community. That sounds like that. That sounds mm. like what a queen koi would you be You know, to. just maybe. Uh, and the review is titled Virtual Road Baddies. Five stars. In May of 2018, I was in a car accident, and since then, I have been dealing with PTSD related to driving. To help calm my nerves on mid-distance trips, I listen to Queer Walk, and it has been such a huge help. Nikita and Money both have amazing and contagious personalities that permeate through the speakers and that has a way of making you feel like they're right in the room, or in this instance, the car with you. I've learned so much from them since I started listening back in March 2018, and I highly recommend to everybody and they mama. Oh. So this is our friend, Sequoia. And if you couldn't tell. (laughs) And we love her so much. So much. And thank you, Sequoia. That really means a lot. Yes. We love you so much. Yes. I'm putting the, like, three fingers in the air, like on Hunger Games, because we are with you in the car always. God, you're such a nerd. I don't get that reference. Of course. You don't get any references. And last but not least, Nikita, you want to read the last one? So the last review is from, I think it's Avask. And Avask says, how am I not gonna? Five stars. (laughs) I gotta come and give the five stars and review when a podcast is regularly so good. I just stop and listen and rap. Oh my God, this word. (laughs) (laughs) I even need to stop myself between segments sometimes because y'all send me out with so much to think about. Love y'all. Thank you so much. Enwrapped, bitch. Enwrapped, bitch. It's like coffee come in like a rapture and everybody get captured. So this shows, (laughs) this is such, this moment right now fundamentally shows the difference between both of us because that's where you go to and I immediately go to Anita Baker's Caught Up in the Rapture of Love. How does how does that go? Oh my God! Please <laughs> commit to dragging her. Ah, <laughs> uh, caught up in the rapture of love. You, oh like, my God, Montanese! I like Coffee's version better. <laughs> <laughs> this is so. Coffee come in like a rapture, and everybody oh get captured. You really don't know Anita Baker caught up in. The- oh, no. okay. Let's. Well, well. Nevertheless, <laughs> we appreciate Vosk's wonderful and lovely review and the excellent vocabulary. Top notch. Somebody got a good score on the GRE. All right. <laughs> what a nerd. <laughs> Not that white supremacist testing is any measure of anybody's intelligence, vocabulary, or worth. That's not where I was going. (laughs) (laughs) Just so so everyone's clear. You know, I feel like I was so excited to do this, but Diamond's commercial for Pot and Live is just unfuckwittable. Unfuckwittable, unparalleled. (laughs) Everything else just feels so subpar, but nevertheless. (laughs) We will persist. (laughs) 
It is almost here, y'all. Podding Live NYC 2019. God, I was about to yore again, but I will not do that. Please don't. The biggest black podcast meetup in this galaxy. I was about to end the motherfucking universe. (laughs) You know, Voltron ain't up on this shit yet. And it's brought to us by the homies T with Queen and Jay. Brought to you in partnership with some of your other favorite podcasts, including all of the podcasts of the Baddie Brigade and our other homies in podcasting. Um, this is just a fun, free black podcast meetup. Free 99! Exactly. Make sure that y'all uh, RSVP. The link is in our um, IG bio. And I'll post it in the description to this episode Because, y'all, it is um, filling up really fast. So, if you want to come to Pod and Live, please RSVP. RSVP now. it's free with the RSVP. That's right. Pause the episode right now and just RSVP. You're not going to do it later. Yes. You're going to be watching Game of Thrones. You're going to be cleaning your apartment. Do this shit right now. Do it now. This is is the only time of year that you could be in the same room with all your favorite podcasters, other podcast listeners... Listen to a dope-ass DJ, and it's all black. So, bliggity, bliggity, black. <laughs> did I mention it was a black podcast meetup? Yeah. Mm. And centering blackness. There so, we go. if you're listening like, hmm, I don't identify as a black person, but I would like to go to Pod and Live, just know that this is a, an intentionally created space for black folks to feel free and loved upon and talk about pod, podcast shit. So, RSVP, the link is in the description or on our IG bio. Okay, where's my jingle, bitch? <laughs> I don't have one. Are you serious? I don't. I started working on one, but it's not You wrote done. three pages of notes for your segment, but you didn't write me a jingle? The show just isn't the same without a jingle for the mental moment. Well, there will be one. To my defense... We are halfway through 2019. We're not even. To my... <laughs> In my defense, I have been working seven so days have a week. We all. Seven days a week. It's not an excuse. Seven days a week, so twelve hour we. days. Mm. So that means you have twelve hours where you're not working in a day. Okay. <laughs> Most of us hate slavery, but it seems like <laughs> we are now moving along to what used to be my favorite segment, my formerly favorite segment, the mental moment with money. All right, y'all. So y'all know the mental moment segment is where I try to give some like pointers or some tips or some tools to help us with everyday struggles of being queer folks of color, right? Well, this mental moment, um, I feel like I was sort of like laughing to keep from crying before getting into this segment because uh, this story really hit me um, in the heart. So uh, for those folks who might need it, I'm going to be talking about suicide, but not in any kind of like graphic detail. But nevertheless, I understand if you need to catch me on the next episode with the mental moment. So some of y'all might have heard this story out of um, Huntsville, Alabama, a 15 year old uh, high school first year, Nigel Shelby uh, died uh, by suicide due to um, bullying for being out and gay. And, oh gosh, this like, it just fucked me up in a different way because um, a lot of y'all who listen, who have been listening for a while, 
and then news for y'all who might be newer to the podcast. I went to college in Alabama, and um, actually my family still lives in Alabama. It feels a lot like a second home to me. Um, And actually, the last semester of my master's program, I gave a a workshop in Huntsville, Alabama. Oh, wow. To, um, to like, school officials and stuff through the Alabama LGBT uh, Issues and Counseling uh, Coalition um, on how to support LGBT youth in schools. And so um, this felt like, damn, like, you know, like, I did that. In 2013, and just um, and Huntsville is like one of the biggest cities in Alabama. You know, it's not uh, the image that a lot of folks get of Alabama, so you just think of it as like a more progressive space. And so to like really hear hear this uh, and see his like little beautiful shining oh face. Oh my god, that face! Um, just like really hurt. So I just want to uh, uplift and give kudos to Rocket City Pride and Glisten of Greater Huntsville for amplifying his story uh, and for, like, putting it on a lot of folks' radar and just an ashe to Nigel, Nigel. who became a little baby ancestor way too soon. Entirely um, too soon. And for the most, like, disgusting, senseless, preventable reasons um, and just sending love and so much support to his family. Um, I'm going to leave the link to um, the GoFundMe to help with his uh, like memorial services and support for his family and his passing. I'm going to put that in the description box. And uh, yeah, so y'all show some love there. All right. So um, I think when people, when people leave this earth, like there should be an impact, right? Uh, there should be meaning that comes from it. And so my mental moment this week is inspired by little baby Nigel. Um, and I'm going to give y'all five ways that y'all can support queer youth. And I also have some links to some like like PDFs and workbooks and stuff that places like Glisten and Glad have put together uh, to also help uh, expand this that I'm going to say. But I just, you know, I like to keep it like grabbable. And so here are five ways. So the first and most easy way to support queer youth uh, is to use LGBT affirming language around all kids. Mm. Um, language is the hugest impact that we have on the way we see each other, ourselves. Y'all know I'm a narrative therapist. I think the way we talk about things make them feel possible, make them feel manageable. And language is always changing. Um, so that's something like that is that to me makes things feel possible too. <laughs> so... Keep up with the current language on LGBT issues, on queer issues, the words that the youth are using to describe stuff. Uh, Use gender neutral terminology when asking young folks about like partners, crushes, sex, any of that stuff. Gender, um, it just, it models a different way of life. It, It models that like other things are possible than like the heteronormativity and the cisgenderism. I don't even know if that's a word that gets pushed uh, so heavily. So the first way use LGBT affirming language ways to support queer youth. Number two, be visible. And so um, obviously, if you're a queer uh, person, that's not a youth anymore. Be visible. Like, let let the babies, let the kids know that you're there. Uh, that's why I, I still stand your gay auntie so much. Yeah. That's what their whole podcast is about, right? They're there for us, for us younger queers who 
often don't see us as like like adults, <laughs> like as having lives, as yeah. as living past twenty five. Be visible as a queer person, and if you're not a queer person, let them know that it that you have queer friends who are your age, or that it's okay that they are going to grow up and become yeah. queer adults. Uh, you can do this through like supporting LGBT student groups. Um, a lot of a lot of times, uh, gay straight alliances or similar groups can't exist at um, high schools because they can't get an advisor. They can't get an advisor. You don't have to be a queer person to be a GSA advisor. So do that. If you're someone who believes that queer kids should have the space and safety in schools to have a GSA, become an advisor for a GSA. Start one. Suggest one in your school if you don't have one. Correct other folks uh, when they use the wrong pronouns, when they um, use awful like language to talk about queer kids. Attend events um, for and by queer youth. Let, th- let them see that adults support them. Post things. Make your space look visible. This can be as easy as like hanging a rainbow flag in your classroom or your like space that kids frequent. Um, having books by queer adults. Having books about queer youth. Um, one of my favorite books in the world is Juliet Takes a Breath. The cover art is incredible, but it's also a book about um, a queer Latina, Afro-Latina from New York City who discovers her sexuality over a summer, you oh know? My God. And it doesn't have a sad fucking ending. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, um, like make things like that visible for kids to see. Know their challenges is number three ways to support queer youth. You can't really, I actually should have made this number one, but I think language is so important. Just like the implicit messages yeah. that we send by the way we talk about stuff. But knowing their challenges, you can't really help somebody if you don't know what they're facing. Um, so what what like hit what hit so hard about like Nigel's story and then like other stories about queer youth is that folks always know the kid that's picked on. Everybody always know, you yeah. know, like the the kid who's being bullied, the kid who's struggling in school. What can you do to 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 intervene to like help? Uh, what's happening in your local community? that queer kids might be might need to be supported through is there like a local place that is particularly queer phobic that you can have some like influence on mm-hmm. and pushing them to 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 sort of like send not only the personal direct message to a queer kid that like hey I'm here for you but also trying to make the spaces around them more queer affirming Um, Number four kind of relates to number three. So know the challenges, know what gets in the way um, of supporting them. But number four is know the resources. Where are the queer affirming places? Are there websites that you could suggest for kids to get on, to see other kids like them, um, to connect, to have a social life? Who are the counselors that that would be affirming and... um, be queer, helpful for queer students to talk to and not damaging for queer students to talk to? Are there community centers, churches, doctors, any Mm, of those things that are supportive and affirming of queer folks? Uh, Who are the role models? Who are the older queer queer people? Nigel was a first year. Uh, Were there seniors? Were there queer seniors that folks could have connected him to? Uh, Are there, like, queer college students in the area that yeah. can come and talk to your class about stuff. Um, you know, give them the aspirational people to look forward to. 
And in relation to that, also connect them laterally, like to peers. Yeah. Um, this goes back to like the GSA thing. And I actually wanted to talk about that because I was remembering from my presentation that when I did the presentation, it was like months after the National School Climate Survey had been done. And that's what like amped me up to do it. Um, and there hasn't been one done since. Uh, and so I just wanted to like read a little bit about how important it is for queer students to be uh, to be in a peer groups. And I say this all the time on this show, but like community is so important. It's like the number one defining factor in a lot of uh, mental yeah. health outcomes and shit. So, um, so the National School Climate Survey done by GLSEN in 2013, uh, I think they surveyed like a thousand schools across the country. Um, and so these are some of the results, right? Uh, so the survey found that compared to LGBT, compared to LGBT students without GSAs in their schools, um, students in schools with GSAs or Gay Straight Alliance clubs or similar, some schools don't call it GSA, my school called it Spectrum. You know, so students in schools with a GSA reported hearing fewer homophobic remarks, experienced less harassment and assault because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, were most likely to report incidents of harassment. So I know this might sound like contradictory, but what it actually means is that pe- pe- when when something did happen, you felt stu- more exactly. You felt comfortable to actually come right. forward to say that something right. happened. Yeah, I feel like I didn't want to go there, but oftentimes the student and the, the students are a problem, but the bigger problem is like teachers and administration. Ugh. Like the kids, the kids first not like these these teachers and administration don't intervene or they don't feel safe to go to them and tell them that they're being bullied, right? So schools with GSAs, these students reported that they were more likely to report. So yeah. that means that they feel safer with the the staff in the schools. We're less likely to feel unsafe because of their sexual orientation or gender expressions. We're less likely to miss school, which is so important. Like, the retention rate of queer kids, especially gender nonconforming ones, is so low. And it's not because we obviously know that. It's not because they're not brilliant and vibrant and can do the work. It's because school isn't designed to support them to getting to graduation. And then you throw on the... The the gender and like race, the, the, and, and it just, yeah, it goes. I'm sure it's like exponential. Exactly. And students in schools with GSAs also reported a greater sense of belonging to their school community, um, which is like so huge. I think about that, like feeling like you love your school. You want to wake up and go to school every day as like a queer kid. What? So yeah, so those are just like some benefits of having um, programs like that at schools. And so this leads right into my last way to support queer youth is to help them socially connect. Not only is community very impactful for like other mental health things, but specifically with suicide and suicidal ideation, if somebody feels a sense of social connectedness, they're less likely to use... um, To attempt, first of all. And if they do attempt, they're less likely to use more lethal means. Oh, wow. So so that's like, even though the depression might get them to a point of feeling suicidal, that the ways that they attempt, they usually are able to survive if Mm. they feel socially connected. Um, But if you feel like nobody's going to miss you, you know, it's just... Obviously, yeah. you know, it's like, what is the, the, the way that I can guarantee that I'm going to end this, right? So social connection is so important. And just, I don't know, y'all just think about it. Like, 
imagine how you would feel if you didn't there's no hope you know it's like there's no hope there if you right. don't you don't feel like anybody will understand you or will miss you sure. the ways that i also thought about like feeling social connected helping um queer kids feel socially connected especially if you're not in the school systems and you're like well i'm not a teacher i'm not a like a ta or helping professional or anything like that um, you can volunteer at schools, like volunteer at an after school program. Like, let, just just show your queer ass up for the babies because and, they and they know and yeah. they, they they see they it. do they, they do. really do yeah yeah. Um, I remember volunteering at um school programs here in Syracuse. Yeah, and you know like the little girls coming up to me saying, "Yeah, we like your hair. Mm-hmm. Your hair is real nice. You know, it's like they yeah. know, they know, they can read it." On us and just think, I just think about how I felt when I like learned about black lesbians who were like older than me and who had lived life that it just makes, it just makes shit feel possible. Be visible to the babies. Be there. Uh, Give back in other ways. If you are one of these queers with coin, give some money to something that will support LGBT youth. Uh, Again, like I said, I'm going to leave the link uh, to Nigel Shelby's, um, you know, like, a remembrance fund for on GoFundMe, but do it while they're here too, because they need they need us not just in death but also in life. Yeah. Um. And so I'm gonna run through my five ways to support queer youth again. Use LGBT affirming language. Be visible. Know their challenges. Know their resources and help them socially connect. So proud of myself for making it through that without crying. It would have been okay if you cried. Mm-hmm. The point about, I mean, I feel like I've a, well, I'll just add two things. I think the point about, like, the lateral connection is so important. Because it's like, even though I didn't, like, my, my best friend from high school, who I, you know, who's still my best friend, who I mm-hmm. love uh, dearly, Diedrich, it's so funny. Even before I saw um, this terrible uh, story about Nigel, I was thinking about something that Diedrich did. And I mean, he was 15 at the time. We were in high school together, and it was like the National Day of Silence. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't even know that that, um, that you know, that day existed. But there was this thing that De- Diedrich saw, and it was like, it was, you know, the National Day of Silence. And so he did this thing where he just didn't speak yeah, at all. Yeah, And he showed this thing to his, um, to our teachers. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever told him this, uh, but I just, I just remember thinking, because he asked me to do it, and I was too much of a chicken shit. I was like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. But I I just remember feeling in that moment, thinking about how much like I admired him. And to mm-hmm. this day, I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever asked him, like, what compelled you mm-hmm. um, to do that? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I mean, we've been, you know, we've been thick as thieves since, literally, almost since, like, um, like the second day that we met. And I'm just thinking about how important he um, he has been in my life, um, mm-hmm. and you know, like, and and helping me like affirm like who I am, mm-hmm. um, and that just and again he was fifteen, yeah, you know, and it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, like we were besties, and I know that mm-hmm. he had other people around him, and mm-hmm. it's like like that that community is so important, and then I just always it's like we laugh about it and we joke about it. I mean, in the ways that a lot of us do around, you know, things that are actually not funny. But I remember mm-hmm. um, there was, it wasn't like the actual guidance counselor, but there was like the secretary in the guidance counsel- in the guidance counseling office. And she was like totally like homophobic mm-hmm. and just like conservative on every front. And I remember Dietrich and I, we never, like we'd, we, we would make jokes about it at high school about how awful she was. But I, ne- I would have never gone 
to like the guidance counselor. Yeah. Not even because of the guidance counselors um, themselves, but just because of her. The secretary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's just no way that I would have ever like set foot in there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's just like, I'm mad. I just can't imagine what it would have been. Um, if it's kind of it reminds me of like that episode that we just did the not that one where it's yeah. like if somebody would have just yeah. been like now Miss Porter you know you can't be talking right. like that right do you know right. what I'm saying yeah I would have been like yeah. Cause, yeah. you know mm-hmm. and then and, and mm-hmm. if I would have seen something like that then mm-hmm. I would have made that mental mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. that like that's yeah that person would be in my yeah. corner and the, you the, know the difference that makes that the difference that makes like can't be understated like. It's just so huge. Even just like a little moment like that. Like, you know, we talked about last episode, just the, of saying, leave her alone, man. Like, right. We, like, like, we're not saying like you have yeah. to make these grand. You don't have to, yeah. Because I think have people. To do big shit. Right. It's just like, now you know, Miss Porter, you can't be yeah. talking like that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, reading about this, I feel like I've been like holding in crying for a very long time. But like, I just think in reading about this, I just thought about how like brave. You have to be to be out yeah. at fifteen. Yeah. Um, yeah. How how like much you know yourself to do that? That was my thought. Too. I think it was like around fifteen where I was like, oh, uh, oh, no, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was like it was that like, was me. That yes. was me. Like the the thoughts were so I can't I don't ever remember them. They happen so so immediate that I don't even remember them being separate. Like me realizing that I liked girls and realizing like that that wasn't okay. Yeah. Like it just happened immediately. And I remember in high school, I had this teacher. She was the strictest teacher in the whole school. Um, the worst grader. But her name was Miss Barnwell. And all the queer kids used to hang out in her room. And like I was like trying to think back after like reading about Nigel what made her feel like safe yeah. for us and it was so funny because it was it was not stated none of us were out quote unquote out yeah. right now that I think about it it was so ridiculous because I dressed up as Lil Wayne for one of the spirit days and came to school <laughs> yep. you know I just, I like, how more obvious could I be <laughs> um but uh a hot boy B-O-I <laughs> Um, but I think it was, she was, she was, first of all, you, she was, you wouldn't, she wasn't tolerating any kind of hate speech in her classroom. So all the little things that kids say that are, and that's another thing, like if we can't address bullying without addressing the ways that it's specifically like homophobic, racist, colorist, sizes, you know, and, and she was like the first person that I heard doing that. Like, no, you're not going to make fun of somebody because of their skin tone or because of their size. So that made her feel safe. And also she was, she was, I don't know if she was queer, but she was non-traditional, you know, like, um, she would say shit like, uh, why you need a date to the prom? Or why why is like why is marriage what yeah, what you wow. looking for to, you know? <laughs> yeah, wow. Like you need to be picking colleges based on your major, not yeah. based on like like the people that's yeah. there, you know? She just opened up so much possibility. And I just remember she just had this little couch and all the queer kids would hang out on that couch and and just have you know, having one. I mean, I went to two different high schools and she was she's the literally the only teacher that I could think of. And like I said, she never said Nothing like I am pro LGBT. Yeah. Student. She, yeah. it, was, it was no big shit. She was just 
just the little things that that make such a huge difference. Um, yeah. So I feel like I had one teacher like that. I mean, that I think that bitch was actually trifling. She was just so messy. She would, we would just be <laughs> kicking in her office, and she, she was a full fledged fool. And uh, me and me, Diedrich, and uh, another friend, we used to just always just be like kicking with her. And she would be like, "What?" She was like, "You like so and so?" She was like, "Oh, I think you could do better." <laughs> <laughs> we were like, it was just like there was. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I think now that I we're talking about this, I think it just it struck me the the fact that I remember like some like explicitly like homophobic yeah. teachers. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, I just can't. Yeah, it's just it's, it's a miracle that any of us make it out. Yeah, honestly. it is. It is. It just scares me how cruel young people are to yeah. one another. Yeah, I, I don't. I, you know, I don't know that it's, you know it doesn't make any sense because children are people. There's no sense in like romanticizing them. But I'm just like, oh, that that's just something that always just like it's just I just find it deeply like unsettling. Yeah, yeah. I know there was like a term going around, like people were talking about bully side instead of suicide. It was, like mm. these kids are are like pushed, and the way that bullying looks so different than when I was a kid. Like, sure, we had the internet, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but it's just totally different now. Like, it's, I feel like the it's so public, like the humiliation yes, the, factor is it's just so like much bigger, exponential. Yes, yeah. Like I, you know, I see a bunch of young kids, a lot of teenagers in um, therapy, and it's just like from TikTok to Snapchat to yeah. all this stuff, yik yak, whatever. Like the whole school. So it's not just like this embarrassment within class. That happens class. in the moment yeah, with, yeah, yeah like right. 10, 20 students. Right. Like, you know, depending on how big yeah. your high school is, it could be thousands. Yeah, yeah. Ay, ay, I just want to send a huge ashe to Nigel Shelby. Ashe and I just, presente, yeah. you know, really, really hope that the ancestors wrap their arms around yeah. our baby. And you should still be here with us. But I hope these five ways... um definitely impact and if my voice has any power has some reach and to help other queer kids not have to leave before their time yeah so and now our bi-weekly bullshit segment from our (laughs) (laughs) from our (laughs) whack worker wordsmith nikita Wow. Yeah. I don't have a jingle. And your jingle is extra spicy this week. It shots fire at your segment since you don't want to give me a jingle. I'm working on one for Mm -hmm. you. That that hurt my feelings. (laughs) Bullshit. I love your segment. I always learn so much. So for those of you who might be new or returning after a hiatus to the podcast, Nikita always breaks down some shit in her segment and explains it to us, gives us new perspectives on things, gives us the history and the roots of stuff. Not the roots. So go ahead with your funky ass segment. Okay, so I don't, I don't have a word, but I just, there's something I want to talk about that it really just grinds my gears. <laughs> I feel like we should change the segment to, you know what grinds my gears? <laughs> Because, you know, the segment is, you know, the word, but it's also the, like, the subtitle is... Nikita Rants. Yeah. So, something I think a lot about is, like, how, just, like, distinct pieces around culture 
and just how a lot of them are just not good. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of want to rant a little bit about why why I think that they're not good and like what what they're missing. So I just saw this article and so there was an article because um, you know Game of Thrones is back on and it was like there's no black people in the Game of Thrones. And that's, you know, it's a fair critique, whatever, it's a common critique, but I was like, I'm bored by these (laughs) kinds of pieces. Go ahead. So, my problem is that a lot of these pieces are just not, not I think they're not good because nine times out of ten, you already know what the piece is going (laughs) to say, right? So, before you read it, it's always like, usually it's like, kind of like the Game of Thrones thing, it's like XYZ, you know, cultural production has a gender or a race problem. Or on the flip side, it's like XYZ cultural production is revolutionary for depicting XYZ humanity, humanity in <laughs> a particular kind of way. And I'm like, it's like if this is always going to be the analysis, then it's not interesting. What is it that it's you know it's not really helping us to think like in in any kind of interesting way about culture or any other broader like social issue. Um, so these are fine points to make, but I think for me, it's like, these can't be the only points right. that we make around culture. So, like, something I think about is I wish we could see or read more pieces that weave together uh, discussions and analyses of, like, form, content, and genre. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, we, I don't know what you We never saying. get to hear black people, people of color, or oppressed people talk about mm. their craft. Like I was like, what do you mean? So what I was thinking about is like when we were at South by Southwest mm-hmm. and Barry Jenkins, you know, the oh, creator of mm-hmm, Moonlight. Mm-hmm. So he was talking about. I mean, I didn't understand any of the references, but of course I can like look them up later. But he was talking about like his approach, like what he was trying to do, like cinematically right, was like right. Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. Do you mm-hmm, know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. we always, of course, you know, there's always analyses about what's on the screen, but or what's in the text or what's in like the song, but nobody. I think rarely is like, you know, I think they we kind of see it like a little bit. Um, I think the last time we probably saw it was like the Beyonce um, Lemonade syllabus yeah. where people are like, you know, she's drawing on this, you know, cultural mm-hmm, tradition mm-hmm, or that. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, like, for instance, I want to, um, you know, in terms of music, it's always like, well, this song is revolutionary. This song is feminist or it's not. I'm like, nobody talks about like, oh, like this instrumentation or this production is reminiscent of this particular kind of genre of black music. Got you. Know you. I saying? understand what you're saying. Or it's like, yeah. I want to read more about like what, like how, what, like what approach Audre Lorde took to like poetry. There's a right, lot of, right. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of shit like that in the Academy. But in terms of like popular yeah, discussion. Yeah. So it's like. Like a think piece on that. Right. Yeah. Or it's like, what mm-hmm. is interesting, like what? Like, for me, like, after, like, the Jordan Peele thing, I'm like, I want to know more about, like, the yeah. history of black people in the genre right, of horror. Right, Do you know what I'm saying? But that's not really, like, um, that's not the kind of shit that we get, usually. It's always, again, it's like, here's the image, here's a dissection of it, here's, like, the boring, bland dissection of it. Uh, and so, a lot of times, I think a lot of the discussion around, um, like, culture, it usually ends up talking about, like, diversity, inclusion, or representation. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting to me because I think a lot of the people who are who would be critical of like the limits of diversity, inclusion, and representation in other spheres, I, for some reason I don't think that it always happens in um, media. In media, right? So um, it's always like you, again going back to like the GOT thing. It's like so and so group is not represented here, right? And so most of the discussions are overwhelmingly about. Um, you know, the pieces are about the final product. So analyzing, like, the film, 
like the TV show, etc., and that kind of thing. And of course, plot twists, I mean, not, not a plot twist or not a surprise, you know, me being like a Marxist feminist. I'm like, there's, I think what's missing from like a lot of cultural um, analysis is, and I think what could help us better to better understand culture is like an analysis of political economy and what the fuck is political economy. So when we're talking about <laughs> political economy, it just basically means the system of the system of laws and practices that govern distribution and production within the con- within the economy broadly or within like a particular industry, right? So basically, that's just like a fancy way to say. How, oh, go, go ahead. ahead, no, go ahead. Uh, Tell me how, what you make of it. Like how how it is that something can get produced in a given boom industry. That's that's okay. exactly it, right? Because that would give us a lot of like. Like answers to why there's no representation. Eggs, boom. Oh. Yes. So, See, I be learning <laughs> <laughs> And one of shout out to Jared Ball. He just came to um mm-hmm. he just came to Syracuse and uh, like I said, I wrote a little post about him on Instagram because like you just never know if um academics are gonna be garbage or not. And I've been following his work for like a real long time and he just ended up being like a good dude like in person. He's like everything I was hoping that he would be as a person. So Jared Ball wrote this book in 2011 called I Mix What I Like. And the title is basically a riff on the the Azanian revolutionary Steve Biko who had a book of essays called I Write What I Like. So that's that shows you like the the political tradition that uh, Jared Ball is in. So he's like a revolutionary nationalist, pan-Africanist. And so his book, I Mix What I Like, is so good. It's from 2011. So some of the references um, are it's almost a decade old, so it's a little dated. But I think he does a really phenomenal job in this book of giving um, like the uh, the political economy of like radio and like the music industry. Wow. And so just some like quick things. Um so, for instance, he talks about, um, and I think it might have changed since then, uh, but in 2011 when he wrote the book, there were four major music companies responsible for distributing over 90% of all CDs in the Western world. And again, that shows you mm-hmm. how dated it is. Mm-hmm. But just four companies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it was Sony, Universal Music Group, Warner, Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner mm-hmm. Music Group, and then EMI. Mm-hmm. And so these, and another interesting thing is that these companies, are subsidiaries of larger conglomerates or private equity and hedge fund groups. And so, like, one of those groups is um, Vivendi. And so, like, the, I think Vivendi is a parent company of Sony and Universal Music Group. And how many of us have ever heard of that company ever? Never. And never. so I've heard of Sony and Universal. Right. But it's like, this is, Vivendi is like a worldwide, like, uh, media conglomerate. And it sh- to show you how huge it is, I think music only accounts for 14% of all their production. <laughs> and so they're so they've got their hand in like video games and other sorts mm. and all sorts of other entertainment. But this is not a company. It's like if this if this is a, a parent company that has such a large, you know, that has like such an outsized role in media, that should be a name that that's all like that should be on the tips of all of our names. Everybody should be able to right? name. Yeah. And and just um and so this is another stat that comes from his book where it says like any give at during any given week so at the time that he wrote this book, Sony and Universal Music Group owned eighty to ninety five percent of the top twenty songs played on the radio. 
And again, it's like this shows like the disproportionate and, and outsized influence that these two groups had on these two companies had on the top 20. Right. And so I just want to read this little quote from him because I think because something else that he does in this um, book is he talks about the role of contracts and the role of copyright and how that shapes mm-hmm. what it what it uh, what it is that we hear. And I think this is really important about what what is considered to be popular. Mm-hmm. So, um, in fact, the British model of copyright adopted in the U.S., much like the model of indirect colonial rule that claimed if the rights of producers of culture, so authors, musicians, etc., were protected, they would be encouraged to create more. There would be incentive for them to produce what would generate substantial, substantial personal income while enriching society at large. However, a problem emerged where copyright ownership moved from the specific artist to their contracted distributor, that is, the largest media companies. Um, copyrights are now a tradable commodity through which our cultural heritage has been privatized as recent laws extending copyright ownership indefinitely have resulted in a corporate monopoly over the rights to cultural expression um, in other words, what we hear, see, and read is only a fraction is what of what is produced and is owned by an ever-shrinking number of companies. And so all of this is basically... And so I didn't even realize that at one point, individual artists were the ones who had... Um, owned their copyrights. Right. And then and now it's such that the, the distribution company um, shapes is the one who has the ownership. And just like as a quick um, example and how this affects, because people could be thinking, how the fuck does this affect anything? And so he gives us, and this is a common example people might know, but one of the things that uh, he quotes Chuck D was talking about is that in the 90s, this totally changed like the sound of rap in mm-hmm. the 90s. Mm-hmm. Because he was like, it was harder for artists to get access to samples. Mm. Right? Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, the, so the consolidation of copyright ownership made it so that it was again it was harder for artists to get access to samples and so that totally changed the sound of hip hop right. of rap cause right cause now you don't call up your homie who's the artist who made the track and it's like hey can I use your your track cause right. they don't own their they copyright own the distribution company owns it exactly so you have to go to this company and, and you can't and then yeah. you think about all like the you know the soul samples that they were like, yeah, yeah. they were sampling from mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s um, like you don't, you don't have access to yeah. that. So this, so then again, that shapes what it is that we're you know our sonic experience right, of rap. Right. But it's like if you're just focusing on the end product, yeah. then you can't account for why has this sonic right. why has this sonic shift occurred? Right? Do you know what I Yo. mean? Um, there's I mean there's so much more in this book, uh, but that's just like one of the examples. And like and again. Like, a, some of the examples feel a little dated because he's talking about radio and and um, I think radio still has like a broad um, influence, um, but I, I I don't think that that's like where a, a lot of people our age like go to for music. Yeah, but we see it on streaming platforms too. Like um, I don't I don't I don't know exactly the like lanes or uh, lineages of people who own shit, but there's definitely a business behind getting something listed as like a hear it first like um on one of these like spotify playlists or on the new and noteworthy for apple you know it's like who is the company backing this this person this artist this podcast 
Like, that's how they get highlighted and spotlighted. And so this, to me, is this is a point that I think can't be stressed enough. And it's really important because I think there's so much talk and I think something that Jared Ball tries to get at and other like like radical media scholars try to get at and something I think it's an important point more broadly about capitalism is that capitalism is a system of production and it's the people who owns the me it's the people who own those means of production are the people with power. Mm. And and I say that to say that oftentimes I think people Say people as wrongly assume that it's the consumers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are the ones with with power, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why we always say, you know, people say vote with your dollars, and that's kind of ridiculous. And mm-hmm. we've already laid out the fact that yeah. it's four companies yeah. calling most of the shit, yeah. right? Who are in charge mm-hmm. and who have the ownership and are responsible for the dis- distribution of most mm-hmm. of the shit. So it's like. If it's not in their purview, and if they don't want it to go out, then it's not. Then exactly. it's not going to go out. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it doesn't matter if it's like, mm-hmm. you know, if it's you know popular or if yeah. people would like it or right. not. Right. 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 And so I think that that's and, and so whenever we talk about political economy, you know, the way that Marx phrased it was like, you know, capitalism is a mode of you know production, and it's like again, understanding how things are produced in society um, are important, and I think that 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 distinction is important because it helps us put the locus of power back on the people who own, who actually mm-hmm. own and call the shots, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just us as, um, you know, consumers, you know, certainly not like just loaned like individual consumers, mm-hmm. right? And another thing that this had me thinking about was the whole, and I, I feel like this was missed. Or, I mean, I think it was, I think that the Me Too movement was also, or moment was like a really important, like invitation for us to like think about this. Because something that I remembered, one of the things, because, I mean, a lot of these men uh, who were like, well, how come y'all ain't mad about Harvey Weinstein? Why y'all not saying mute Weinstein? First of all, different medium, so that's (laughs) ridiculous. But something that, that I started to think about is, like, I don't actually understand the system of production and distribution in Hollywood because mm-hmm. one of the companies, so one of the um, the distribution companies that Harvey Weinstein owned or the main one that he owned was Miramax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I was looking, it was like at one point, Mir- the parent company of Miramax was Disney. But then it, I think uh, like a few years ago, it merged with these other like international media conglomerates that I'd never heard of. So mm-hmm. I was like, what would it mean what would it mean to actually have like a strategic boycott? Mm-hmm. Cause it's not, cause it's not just like, Oh, right, he's not right. an actor. He's yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. he's a part of a distribution yeah, company. Yeah. So it's like what other parent mm-hmm. companies and sub- subsidiaries and conglomerates right, right. would have to be attacked. Right, exactly. And again, it's like, we don't know this. Right. I guess now I'm thinking like, if we talked more about what is it called? Political economy. Yeah. That like, uh, resistance would also be more possible. Yeah. Because, that example you gave about Weinstein, it also made me think about um, BDS, boycott, divest, yeah. and sanctions, and like how hard it is to divest from or like boycott HP or boycott like Nestle because you think, oh, Nestle, chocolate, HP computers, but they like own exactly so many other things, and you don't even understand that they're like they're a parent company to all these other things, exactly. you know? Um. Ugh. Uh, the other thing, so I know Selma Hayek has said some like fucked up shit um, around uh, black women, but she did this 
when I was thinking about this Harvey Weinstein thing, I remembered that article. Um, it was like an op-ed she wrote for the New York Times uh, talking about her experience with Weinstein in terms of the making of the Freedom movie. And so, you know, he was a disgusting, sexist, misogynistic pig in the way that, you know, we've learned that he is. And um, there's there's just something that I wanted to highlight is that Weinstein paid for the... So she had done all this research and prep work because she knew she wanted to make this movie about Frida. So Weinstein paid for the rights to all that work and that, that pre-work and that research that she had done. And then... Um, so he made her sign um, a deal, a contract, again, very similar to music, saying that she would do several more movies with Miramax, you know, his uh, distribution company. And so he, so she lays out how just like she had to like rebuff his like his sexual harassment and advances. He put together like a list of like demands that people in the industry, everybody was like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. It's, it's impossible. You're never going to be able to do it. But she was so adamant in making this movie happen that she did it. So she like she met these ridiculous and impossible demands, but so again she was you know had to rebuff you know his like you know relentless sexual harassment, and then so after she she met the demands but kept saying like stop trying to do this stuff, he threatened to sell the script and give the role to somebody else. After she did all of that, yeah, and it's like. And I think this is what is so important about the uh, about the Me Too moment. And I think the reason why we it's it's not just you know it's it's you know a feminist intervention around sexual assault and rape. But I something I always go back to it was like again yes there's a lot of bougie you know rich you know white actresses, but it also brought back it just reminded us that like Hollywood like it's you know it's it's a you know given in the political economy like this is also like a labor yeah, issue yeah and so like she was this close mm-hmm. and so he had the rights he had the power right right so this movie almost right. didn't happen and so one of the things that she said was that she had kept saying like he at every point he kept trying to like make her do things that she didn't want to do and so at the end one of the things after and you know he put these outrageous demands on her which she met one of the things that he said is like you're not using your sex appeal enough so you need to do like a, a full frontal nude like sex scene in this movie in a freedom movie yeah and if you i remember that um i remember that scene it's like her and ashley judd and so and just think about it because we kind of already know how these think pieces go and there wasn't a think piece because i mean that's just like a different time but if that movie came out now and somebody saw that scene i feel like somebody would be like look this is an unapologetic display of you know frida's queer sexuality Mm -hmm. blah 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 but it's like again if we don't have any understanding of the political economy you know the 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 set of social relations that underpin the making of that movie like that makes us think about that scene in a totally different way that we might feel inclined prior yeah do you yeah. know what I'm saying? And like mm-hmm. even the stuff about him like having the rights to this, and I'm like, and I guess these things just sh- again demonstrate to me that I'm like I don't know enough, you know, like, and I don't think enough of us know about how the how these systems, right, how the system of production and distribution within Hollywood or any cultural um, indus- industry actually works. And this example, oh my God, I'm such. If you follow me on any social media, you're probably tired of hearing me talk about it, but. 
I was, oh, God, the, one of the things that kind of like, the reason why I bought Jared Ball's um, book and one of the things like the this cultural moments that really got me interested in this was that whole Kanye debacle a few years ago when he was just outrageous on Sway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so he was, you know, everybody remember, he was like, you ain't got the answer, Sway. Yeah. And everybody kept talking about how Kanye West was like enamored with whiteness and that's why he wanted to do all these things. But there was this tidbit of that interview that I, like in all the think pieces, nobody like really picked up on it. I had to go back and listen to this thing like three times because I, I, I like literally did not understand what he was saying. But there's a point and where he's talking about how in order to be like an artist to like make money, you have to do like promos and tours mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't want to do that. And then he said, at the end of the day, Lucian Grange still, still cuts, cuts my, my check. check. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is Lucian Grange? And then... It's the CEO, dude. It's the CEO mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of Universal Music Group. And I was like... And that could be my own ignorance. Other people like could know that. But I was like, that's not a name that I don't think that's on like most of our lips. Right. And then in, in, like I saw Lucian Grange again. Because, again, in that controversy where... Kanye West wore that MAGA hat. He's in the he's in a, he's flanked by Lior Cohen, who's uh, the president, who's like the CEO, I think, is of Sony, and then flanked also by Lucian Grange. And so like, and there I saw one article that like kind of like talked about them, and and it brought up this article from uh, and they're in in the article it referenced how Dame Dash said that Lior Cohen has basically had this whole uh, life. This whole career of profiting off of, you know, like black culture and hip hop culture and mm -hmm. all this kind of thing. But I was like, that was a prime time when instead of everybody talking about how Kanye is like in love with whiteness, mm -hmm. which I'm sure is true. Um, like that was a prime moment for us. To, like Kanye West was, I think, trying in his own ridiculous, absurd way to be like, look at the barriers that I'm up against in like the mm -hmm. political economy of the music industry. Mm -hmm. Like that, mm -hmm. that was such a profound line because he was and we think like Kanye West has his own label but it's like that label like that music is still dish like has to go through distribution right, right. through universal music yeah, group yeah and i'm like mm -hmm. that like that's where our like mm -hmm, energy mm -hmm. i think that would have been a not, it doesn't it's not an either or but i think more like pieces should have gone towards like thinking and talking about um that and to again stress the importance of like political economy something i realized is like how come more people don't write and think about these things write and not think i think mm -hmm. people are thinking about this and again i think really also i don't think so or maybe i'm just being real self-centered because like i don't think i think enough about this like i uh, it's interesting to me what i keep thinking right now is like the hyper visibility of the person who actually doesn't have a lot of power in the system so like um, even, yes. you know, even though, yes. okay, like relative to us, like, yeah, Kanye got a lot of power, yeah. but it's like, it's a social capital power. Yeah. It's not an actually like a. Owning like the a, means a, of production. Owning, <laughs> owning the distribution for universal yeah, power, you exactly. know, like, um, and even cause I love music, like hearing people talk about, uh, oh, like this person changed the sound of music, you know, like, like music is never the same yeah. after this person. And I'm like. Because yeah, they had they had different resources that they were forced to pull from because of these these like larger exactly power structures. Exactly. To kind of draw out this point around political economy, something I've I've been thinking about this for like a for like a long time. Um, I think that it also has to go back to like the political economy of writing. Like I think it would take think about how much how much resources it would require. Like you have to have time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to 
and access to resources to like think through this shit. Yeah, yeah. And then at the, it's not it's, to me it's not a coincidence that it's like mostly people of color, women, queer people writing these think pieces. And it's mm-hmm. like I, one of our friends who's a writer was like, you know, I could you know put together a piece. That's like, you know, and get like $200, $300, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I was, I was listening to this um, podcast. There's this woman who just wrote this long-form essay about private sanitation workers in New York City. And she was like an investigative uh, journalist. And so the interviewer asked her, and this, this is a white woman. I think she should, have, she should have had a more responsible answer. But the interviewer was like, what do you tell young people who are aspiring to be investigative journalists? And she was like, don't do it. She was like, she was like you know, I'm... I'm a person of privilege. My parents paid for my school. Uh, she, she was like, that's why it's predominantly white, middle class. So she, she was like, it was a, you know, it's a hard industry to like uh, break into. And so because she was like, the resources are just not there. So mm-hmm. she says she writes six to eight pieces a year. And it's like, that's, you know, that's, it's think like about how many. A piece every two months. Right. Yeah. And think about how much time it would, yeah. it would require. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like. It's something that I'm always like, I used to like tweet about all the time is to be like, can you name to me, like, besides Ta-Nehisi Coates and there's another uh, writer, Nicole Hannah-Jones, like, can you name to me like black people who are not academics who write long form pieces? Mm-hmm. And it's like, where would they have, where, what space would exist mm-hmm. for them to be able to flesh out these ideas to like think about these things in a much deeper way? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And, go, and again, it's like, there's not much funding for um, investigative writing. I had a friend, a really sharp uh a black man, uh, his name is Adam Hudson, and I remember we were messaging back and forth one day because I sent him this link for um, this fellowship, and I was like, "You should apply for this, you know, apply for this around investigative journalism." And he's like, "Nikita, he's like, I'm tired of not having having health insurance." So he's like, "I think I'm moving away from like investigative mm-hmm. journalism." Mm-hmm. And so again, we see how political economy mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. just shapes how we should be thinking about like the culture industries, but it also shapes. What jobs become possible for people to to write what, and think write, about yeah, culture? Yeah, you know what I mean. And there, I should post yeah. a link to it. But Tressy uh, McMillian Cotta is in this conversation with Roxanne Gay, and so she talks about she does a really phenomenal job of talking about why um, she's the author of Thick. Yeah, mm-hmm, and so she mm-hmm. talks about like black women and how she's specifically talking about. Um, black women and how there's just not access to like black women writing different kinds of like Mm -hmm. pieces and different kind of publications Mm -hmm. and just kind of like the just like point to kind of tie these two things together is that it just makes me think about um like this is what happens when you don't have a vibe or when you don't have a source because there's also a lot of people i think about like dream hampton Mm -hmm. i think about joan morgan Mm -hmm. um i was just listening to an interview with uh case layman who's a phenomenal brilliant black writer and a lot of like uh like when they were young at the time in like the 90s like black writers got their start yeah like writing for those publications so it's Mm -hmm. like and because th- there was a mm-hmm. home on some level, Khadija, we need you. We're hey. a flavor magazine, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but where's where's a uh, yeah. a piece? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know where's a piece that's gonna connect like the political economy right. of music to Kanye right. West outburst? Right. Where where yeah. is that gonna go? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And where, where's the support and where's the resources mm-hmm. for that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. For, you know, where's going to be, where's a long form piece that's going to lay out, you know, again, again, to use the example of Jordan Peele, like the history of black folks Mm -hmm. in in horror, Mm -hmm. right? I agree. You know what I'm saying? You just, yeah. And this is also making me feel a little bad uh, about dissing you and your jingle because 
you take the time when you're not working 12 hour days to do this research for us. Like, it, I know it takes time. Yeah. And I know it's not like you just type something into Google and it all pops up in a very nice, neat way. Like, yeah. I know you're down rabbit holes. I know you are connecting threads. Yeah. You're deep off in a part of nerdy Marxist feminist Twitter that I don't <laughs> even know exists. Um, yeah. You. It, it, this is funny because it's your word today, but it's also what you're doing with the word. That means a lot. Thank you. You know. I'll kick your ass later for not having a jingle. Well, you know, can't win them all. I just, I'm just mind blown now. So every time I see a thing piece, I'm going to be like, if you ain't talking about political <laughs> economy, this is basic. That's, that's, that's my mission. Yeah. That's my mission. Damn, Nikita. Well, thank you for blowing my mind. And <sighs> I shall never read another thing piece the same again. Well, communist propaganda mission complete. <laughs> All right. So for today's topic, we actually got a letter, Nikita. We did. All right. So it's a pretty um, lengthy lengthy letter, but I think it's important to read it to get a a A sense sense. of what's going on. So this letter is from Brienne of Tarth. um, And Brienne writes, just to give you some background, I'm 28. Um, My girlfriend is also 28. So Brienne is gay. I knew that already. Oh, it's going (laughs) to... Oh, fuck you. You were talking about Game of Thrones, Brienne. Okay. Uh, We've been together for a year today. You were writing this to us on y'all's anniversary. Anniversary. Go ahead. It is truly a blessing to be with her because she helps me grow and being with her is easy and natural. I've been to some of her family functions and activities with her, but I've never met her parents. At the beginning of our relationship, things were different when it came to our lifestyles. When I met her, she just came back from working abroad as a DJ. We had an amazing summer, and it really confirmed our bond. We quickly came together like typical lesbians. The dynamic between us was very light and fun. I was away for work a lot, flying, and she was also traveling and busy with DJing. So, Brienne is a um, flight attendant. A flight attendant. Yeah. Was. That's what she means by flying. Um, <laughs> everybody like, she was doing what? <laughs> We are also business partners and collaborate on projects together and we work well. We are opposites like yin and yang. We complete each other. My weaknesses are her strengths. My strengths are her weaknesses. Oh, Now, she doesn't want to be seen in public with me in certain specific situations because she doesn't want people to know her business and that for her job, in parentheses, a DJ, she is public... She is a public person and she doesn't want it or us to affect her status on how she is seen. I need help navigating now when your needs start changing. This is my first relationship and I need help. What do you do when you need when your needs start changing? At the beginning, I was always respecting her space and what she needed. I'm aware she likes the attention of women. It was established that it was okay to text other people. I know she flirts with other women. I know she entertains certain people, certain relationships with people that she's not ready to let go of. This is something we've discussed very early on, and she says she doesn't like kissing or holding hands in public. We do it sometimes, but because she's more private, I refrain myself from these things, like acting romantically with her in public. It's very rare that we can show affection because she is uncomfortable with that. I feel like she is putting me on the back burner. I respect it, and I've always respected that. Not everyone is at the same point 
and spot at the same time. And I feel like she's still dealing with insecurities. Her family is the one thing that's the most important to her, along with her career. A couple months ago, she admitted to her parents that she's gay. They were suspecting it, but it was the first time she actually confirmed it. Her parents are Haitian and hardcore Christians, so they only had bad things to say and said she was a disappointment and going to hell. That's tough, especially for someone whose values and loves their family more than anything. This gave me hope that at least it was tough, but she did it. She spoke her truth, and I'm proud of her. We had many discussions on our future goals together, but not recently. We even talked about kids because we're 28 and it's the topic of the hour at that age from what I feel. And so I didn't refrain from talking about kids early on. Yes, we totally embarked on some ideas way too quickly, but still, those are things we talked about. It's tough for everyone and I know that she isn't going to change who she is for me, but it seems like I changed the way I am for her, which benefits me at the end of the day because I learned how to push and thrive on my own. I'm wondering if you have any advice for me. I want something that my girlfriend isn't able to provide me now, right now in the present. Is it just timing? Is it a rough patch? Or should my concerns be considered as flags for something else? What if your girlfriend doesn't want to be public with you? Does that make any sense? (laughs) We're almost 30 and I want a family. And I want more commitment from her and talk about moving Um, out and having children, but she's still caught up in the whole element that she lives with her family and she cares about public opinion. She does call me her girlfriend in front of her cousins and her sister and brother, but it's her parents and church people. I understand because I'm also from the same background. I know how Haitians are and I've had my own fair share of it in my family, but I've been there. My family knows her and I feel silly after a year. I feel like such a lesbian. Am I a dumbass bitch for thinking this could change? Love the podcast, Brienne of Tarth. All right. So that was a pretty lengthy letter, um, but I feel like... The the context is important. Yeah, it's just like a lot happening. Yeah. Um, You want to start, Nikita? Um, Yes. I think... Something that stands out to me in the letter, just generally Mm -hmm. off jump, you're very understanding and very empathetic Mm -hmm. of why she does the things that she does. Right. And you say, you at some points you say, like, I respect it, I get it, but at no point do you explicitly say how these things make you feel. Exactly. 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 And that's, I think that's something that stood out. Uh I mean, I think we get a sense of how you feel. Um, from the letter, but it's just interesting to me that she, her, she's at the forefront. She's foregrounded, of this. right, right. And I don't, I don't see how at no place. And again, and here, do you give any space to say, even like, oh, this I, hurt like, me, right? This, this made me feel uncomfortable. Exactly, exactly. I'm unsure. Like, yeah, like that's what I'm, yeah. you go ahead. And Nikita. so my first, <laughs> and so my first thing is that if you have, if you. Haven't if you don't do not even lay that out to us. I'm yeah. wondering, have you laid that out to her, to yourself to, first? Yeah, touche. To yourself first, and then to her, because you always tell me if it's mentionable, it's manageable. Yeah. So if I can't even bring myself to say I feel a certain way, how can I ever like bring it up to yeah, somebody else? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was noticing off rip is that I I feel like I know more about your girlfriend 
than I do about you yeah. after reading this, this like long email yeah. that you sent us. I want to know more about like why it is that you feel so um so intensely like this is the time that you need to be talking about children and stuff. You know, like what's going on with you? You know, just like other life factors that might be playing into this. You you said this was your first relationship, but I'm gonna guess that this is this isn't your first time like dating because of the the things that you've noticed. Um, so like, how have you navigated other relationships? How is that like informing the needs and wants that you have in this one? Did y'all talk about that? Or was like all this stuff sort of like assumed at the beginning of the relationship? That was like one, that was my next big go-to. Has any of this ever been made explicit? Because I think it seems like from, because even there's a part where you say like at the beginning, um, it seems like there might have been some kind of conversation, but it seems like yeah. Because um, even you say like I guess because you phrase I think you phrase it well to us. It's like you say your needs are changing. Yes. Like have you said that? It's, yeah. You know you wrote this to us on your anniversary, your anniversary, yeah. your one year anniversary. I think anniversaries um, and like lesbian couples tend to do this more anyway. Like we. Uh, ritualize things um, mm. more than any other relationship formations. Like this uh, anniversary is the perfect time to reassess needs in a relationship. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a perfect time for reflection. Yeah, yeah. So like we made it to a year. What what are our strengths? Like what got us here? And also like what things do we want to do to make sure that we make it to another year? And I think and this could be me projecting, but it seems to me that there I think you have to ask yourself um, something like one of the phrases that comes to my mind are like deal breakers. Cause it seems like some of these things, I get the sense, I could be assuming that some of these things actually feel like deal breakers to you. Like it doesn't, it's like all of us, I mean, we're queer, blah, blah. Mm-hmm, we get it. Mm-hmm. We get all the reasons mm-hmm. about why, you know, relationships to mm-hmm. certain, you know, PDA, blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, you, we can get that. Yes. You can understand that. That doesn't mean that it's right for you. Exactly. Doesn't mean that you want that. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you feel good about right. that. Doesn't mean you feel okay about mm-hmm. that. And so I think that's my question. It's like, you again, you can understand these things, but maybe these things are not, they're not okay for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe they feel like deal breakers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that that was one. And then... You, cause, and again, going back to the fact that you don't say how you feel, you say, okay, I respect. Like, she likes to have these particular kind of relationships with people. It's hard for her to let go, blah, blah, blah. But you don't say, how does that, how does that make you feel? Are you okay with that? Yes. Do you feel good about that? Yeah. Like, this is the type of relationship she wants to have with other people, but she's your partner. Yeah. It's like, how is this impacting you? How does this make you feel? Again, like Nikita said, is this a deal breaker for you? It's being public. Yes. Is that not is being that a public? De- yeah. It's not the deal breaker. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I'm not Haitian and I didn't grow up in a particularly Christian family, but uh, I feel like I can understand other, like, contexts that are similar. You yeah. know, like that, that it's really hard to, like, come out to parents and, like, to be out and stuff. But um, this doesn't even feel like... It's about being out. It feels like it's about like the the pub the public the publicness of the relationship because she she told her parents she were gay, she was gay yeah so um she did that <laughs> and so it's not about like if she's out or not um I have questions you didn't put this in there but I have questions about like why is it important for you to like for her to be out in all of her spaces um, one because I'm thinking like the 
It could be a safety thing. Like maybe it's not safe for her to be out in church. It sounds to me that she is introducing you as her girlfriend and partner to people who matter to her, mm. like her cousins, her brother, her sister. So what? what is that? What's activated inside of you that you need her to name that with her parents, her church folks, and when she's at gigs DJing? I feel, I could be wrong, I feel like... Given everything that's written, and you could just be like, bitch, you're totally off base. I, this seems to me like a, a deeper insecurity about the relationship in general. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I need I need you to Aff- affirm, affirm it, it affirm in it. all these yes. other ways because there's, uh, there's other ways that I don't actually feel affirmed in the yeah. relationship. Yeah. That, that's what it sounds like to me. But, you know, I ain't got no PhD, not working on no PhD mental health. So I could just be, I could be off base here. No, I think you're, you, you have uh, 30 years of lived experience right. in Touché. this. <laughs> You're right. And I think you're right on. Um, negotiating when and where we are out is something that queer folks, particularly queer folks of color, and queer folks of color from like religious backgrounds like have to do across space, right? Yeah. So I feel like I don't understand like why there's such an emphasis on like you need to be out everywhere yeah. when like we know from our lived experiences that that just that shit ain't safe. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we. Uh, I think we, like, uh, glamorize outness for other reasons. And that's exactly what you're saying. Like, Uh, what is the underlying insecurity, you know? And so you've been to family functions. Your brother, the the brother, the sister, all these people know. The cousins. All the important people. But, like, why? What Like, what's pushing you to need need the, like, parental and church outness? Yeah. Um, and then, like, I just had a, a, a side with, like, working as a DJ and not wanting this to interfere with her uh, her career. My first question is, what that got to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, you beat, you beat me right to the punch. Because yes. I was going to be like, what that got yes, to do you with You don't get that bullshit. <laughs> I was just off the top of my head. I'm just thinking about lesbian DJs that I feel like are even more popping and people know that they have girlfriends. Like, DJ XL, that bitch everywhere. She hosting parties up and down the eastern seaboard of this country. You know, um, uh, DJ Remarkable. What? Like, all these... Having a girlfriend is not gonna, like, limit your... The, the only way... <laughs> the only And this is a reach. A stretch. <laughs> The only way I could think about this is if... Are you a Christian DJ? So that's what I was going to say. I was going to say they're DJing in communities that are conservative. Like if they're doing like like Im- like Haitian immigrant church parties, then maybe. But that was my first time. I was like, that don't sound like that got nothing to do with nah, nothing. No, no. Now, I, I feel like I do understand the part of, like, you have to entertain certain relationships. Like, as a DJ, you know, it's like, okay, yes, I am going to be texting people. It's kind of like that same line that you walk with, like, when you date party promoters. Okay. You know, it's like, the phone is going to be going off at ungodly yeah, hours and all, all that right. stuff. It's like, yeah, I understand that. But people knowing that you got a girl and right. you a DJ. You be like, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not about to <laughs> fuck with that DJ because, you know, she got a bitch. I don't do that. <laughs> No, when, when has that ever stopped? That just seems like quite a stretch. You know, I was about to go to that party, but... That you, DJ got a girlfriend. She got a girlfriend. I can't listen to a motherfucking party with a DJ got a goddamn girlfriend. 
<laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little uh, uh-uh. fuckboy logic. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you know. That you're 28 and y'all have been together a year. So if you want these things with this woman, y'all still have time. I think I think she's like you know we're all, we're almost thirty. There's no like gate that's gonna come down around oh, you and I, shut those off oh, as possible. I I see. I was reading it as it. I think the sense that I was getting is that she wants these things and mm-hmm. she's like, okay, this I know that I want this, but it seemed like her girlfriend was on the fence about it. Oh, I, I, I that's well the if sense. that's. That I was getting. Okay. Well, if that's the sense, I, it's not has not been my experience in seeing couples in therapy or in being in a couple in my personal life. Those t- Typically, if y'all not on the same page with that at the beginning of a relationship, people don't get on the same page about those things. I mean, so she was said that they talked about it at the beginning of the relationship, but she didn't follow up to see right. where they were. Well, so that, that, and I think that that might be one of the things that's kind of adding to the... Well, I need people to know mm-hmm. about this because it's like I, I want to start a family. And it's like mm-hmm. how can we do this if mm-hmm. again this is me, this is the sense that I get from the mm-hmm. letter. You have to talk about it. Yeah. Any advice we give you is not going to be helpful if you don't talk to her about it. Right. So like you just you take in what we say and be like, all right, boom, I'm gonna move like this then. But she don't. She still don't know that you're feeling that way. Yeah. You haven't made that apparent to her. So let her know. You, like you all have you y'all have to have you that can't that's you can't do anything you cannot move forward do anything until mm-hmm. there's some kind of conversation a real honest conversation about what the needs are mm-hmm. and I and just I just want to reiterate money's earlier point that before you even talk to her you got to be honest with yourself about how these where things you make are, you feel how yeah. you feel mm-hmm. and what it is that you need mm-hmm. so you talked about. So there was this part in the letter where you said uh, that that you know that she isn't going to change who she is for you, but you change the way you are for her, which benefits you at the end of the day. Because so th- it because it helps you learn how to push and thrive for yourself. You are a a black lesbian. You are learning enough through living how to push and thrive for yourself. Yeah. Um. You don't have to do that in intimate relationships. Relationships are about compromise. And if someone is not willing to compromise or budge or grow with and for you, then it's just, it's not sustainable. It's not. Like, you're going to you you're gonna constantly be, like, changing and moving to, like, fit her needs. And then there's going to be one day where you look up, you don't even recognize who you are anymore, yeah. what your interests are. You're going to be completely depleted because you've been pouring out and trying to change to her needs. And that builds up the worst kind of resentment. resentment yeah. You're going to hate her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Gottmans call it contempt. And it's actually the number one predictor for couples ending. For like relationships breaking up. So yeah, nah, that's not that's not uh that's not beneficial to you. Yeah. It's not, I was gonna say it's that actually is not beneficial. Very detrimental yeah. to you. Well, I think we've given uh, mm-hmm. Brienne of Tarth a lot to chew on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Good luck. Let us know. I know. If you would like to submit your questions or your letters to us, you can yeah. do so at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. And we'll give you the best feedback our hearts can muster. Muster, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
All right, so we're gonna move it on along until our final segment of this here program, Curved Chronicles. Curved, 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 curved. Curved Chronicles is the segment where we discuss with y'all our dating woes and wins, or where we talk about y'all's dating woes and wins. If you would like to submit those to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com or throw them in the hashtag QueerWalkPod. So, Nikita. Yes. When I went down to the city this weekend for the screening of Rafiki, I met a couple listeners and one of them expressed that they would like to hear you talk more about how it is that you and Bay keep it going. Because a lot of us are in this space of like dating, but you're in the space of like sustaining You've you found love, so like, what contributes to y'all keeping it going? And you know, I was gonna ask you this because that's a sen- that is literally my dissertation question. We the people want to know, Nikita. You know, I get coquettish on these things. Um, you don't have to give us explicits like positions we... and shit. We oh, just want to know just... what keeps it. What keeps y'all? You work a lot. Mm-hmm. Jaffe does all the things too. Yeah. How do y'all keep it? Well. You know, sometimes it's easier than than others. I think the main lesson that we've learned is that you just really have to be intentional about um, planning things, seeing each other, and going on dates. That's that's like really important. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of dates y'all be going on? We just do like silly little things. Like, I mean, we're also constrained by options here in Syracuse, but. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it could be as simple as, like, we'll go out, you know, we'll go out somewhere that's nice that we like. We'll get a drink. Sometimes, um, like, one time she took me bowling. We've gone to mini golf. We just do, like, little cute activities. I think about this. We laugh a lot together. It's, like, my one of my favorite things that we do together. Aww. We just We just are just both ridiculous and mm-hmm. silly. Mm-hmm. This is true. This is why I love both of y'all. Um, both ridiculous. They're like she, really she's, funny. <laughs> no, she's worse than I'm. I'm a little too. Um, I'm a little too uh, classy for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 Shut up. And just kind of related, um, like in that answer to the letter. Um, both of us are very. I mean, as you can see on the podcast, but. Both of us are actually not um, terribly forthcoming in um, our feelings, but I think that's something that we've grown to do together through our relationship. And that that's it. You really, you know, she gets on my nerves, I get on her nerves, and we're just like, hey, this was the thing that was getting on my nerves. And it's mm-hmm. like, I think that's why that the thing about the resentment thing was so, like, important, or what you call, like, contempt. Because it's like, if you don't address that shit, mm-hmm. it just... I think I know that I've done that in past relationships. It festers. And yeah, and then, yeah. And then you know they, you know they do something silly. They're like, and then you're like, that toothbrush doesn't go there. Yeah. It's never gone there. I don't know why the fuck you keep wanting it there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's like it's like hey, like doing X Y Z. Yeah. And I would say it's not about the toothbrush. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like yeah. you address it, you deal with it, and then you move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's how. This. I'm so glad that you shared this, Nikita. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm not being smart. I'm, <laughs> I really, I really do appreciate hearing you. You know, like I think it's one thing to talk about like the sh- the struggles of like the the dating terrain that we face, and it's another to like hear how people sustain their relationships. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> and I just like celebrating my friend's love. You're so sweet. Y'all are cute. And she Money. What? You get me curved, 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 curved chronicles. Nope. Really? Yeah. I I was um kind of wondering if I wanted to talk about being dragged by the homies. <laughs> I was wondering too. Um, oh fuck you, Nikita. <laughs> okay. Um, it's so interesting how like I'm expected to just pour out, and Nikita can like coquettishly tell us we're doing good, and that's acceptable. I just said I was wondering. I wasn't gonna like drag you on air to be like, you gonna talk about what happened in the city? No, <laughs> I didn't do that. Um. No, I just think, you know, I, it was brought to my attention the way I talk about, like, my relationships or lack thereof by, by our homies, Janicia and Queen. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just had never noticed, like, how, how I talk about, like, relationships and stuff. And so, you know, like, I'm definitely in energies and a... Uh, crystals and a, a sage <laughs> and intentionality ass bitch. And so to to think that like I might be putting some kind of like like negativity or self-fulfilling prophecies into the world off the way I talk about mm-hmm. um, finding romantic love or like intimate uh, partnerships uh, kind of like scared me a little. Hmm. Like oh shit. Do Why I really scared? Talk? Because like like I think you know you you write it it becomes you say it it becomes and so I'm like oh, I am see. I am I doing something to like be in the current state that I'm in right I now cuz in the same way I talk about like working to achieve stuff like it works in the opposite too like if am I working to not achieve something by putting mm. all this energy into the way I talk about it you know, like, I was thinking about editing this in the past, and, like, I've said stuff like I'm dead in the inside. Yeah. And stuff like that. And it, it it's different to say that I'm discouraged by um, being heartbroken. Yeah. Or, like, Syracuse presents challenges uh, for dating as a black lesbian. Like, you see how different that sounds than I'm dead I, inside? I, I was thinking that. Yeah. So. And it locates it external. Exactly. Yeah, both of them were just telling me things. I was like, "Oh, that's what I—that's what I meant to say," but yeah. that's not what I was saying, right? Like, instead of in instead of me like talking about that, I talked about I talked about it in ways that felt really like negative and internal. Yeah. So, yeah, I just noticed that, and I've been like, I really took it in. Yeah. You know, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, and so been trying to work on that all week. I it's so funny because. Even when you said, uh, you just phrased it a particular way a minute ago. And I was like, that is, like, I I feel like I heard and saw you trying to do it differently. When you're like, oh, I'm, like, discouraged about dating. I'm like, that is definitely a different way of, like, that I think that, yeah, you probably do normally talk about it. I guess I'm wondering, though, is it, like, I mean, I think part of it is probably just, like, a defense mechanism. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, I'm dead, I'm broken, it's always going to suck because it's, like, I mean, I think it's, like, normal that people don't want to give their hopes up about these things. Yeah, and because, you know, it's been pervasive. Like, in undergrad, it was like, oh, girl, wait till you graduate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your master's program was like, yeah. oh, girl, wait till you start working. Like, get yeah. into, like, the workforce. Yeah. <laughs> then, you know, it's like, oh, it's just this area. When you move out of this county, yeah. then it's going to be, you know, and... 
oh, it's just this. It's just this. It's like, actually, then it starts to feel like it yeah, is internal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I'm a person, you know, I read, I do all the things. I know that that no matter where I go, homophobia exists. Yeah, racism, Anti-blackness exists. Sexism. Yeah. I know all these things. And so it, it, it very easily... And that's what I told them when they were telling me about, like, the way I talk about it. It's just, like, um, what I'm actually trying to name is, like, it's, it's really difficult, right? <laughs> like, yeah. there's, a, there's like, a, just a lot of things working to make it so that I do feel like that. Yeah. And so it's not just, like, oh, let me be a negative-ass bitch and phrase it in this way. It's, yeah. like, no. Like, these things have, have, like, bothered me across time and spaces and stuff. And so, yeah. like... Well, I'm glad that they... Um... Gathered me. Yeah. Sna- oh, oh, snatched. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I'm glad that they helped you to... I'm glad that they helped you come to this way of reframing it. <laughs> Them. But I am I am appreciative for it, too. It's like, if you don't have friends who... If you don't have friends to care enough about, like, how you talk about yourself, then what the hell are yeah. friends for? Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, like, I am really thankful to have friends like that and... To constantly be surrounded by people who, like, <laughs> it goes back to the letter, who, like, make you grow. Yeah. And that you help them grow, too. Sure. Like, this, you know, it's bi-directional. Um, I love that. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I dig that. And, you know, I was also very in my feels because of Rafiki. Sure, and like sure, that, sure, sure, ah, sure. Such a fucking beautiful movie. Yeah. And, like, just being like, God damn it. <laughs> Where's my kenna? Damn it! Because <laughs> I'm obviously Zicky, like Zeki. Well, I don't clearly. know what this means because I haven't seen it. But I mean, anybody who's seen it, obviously, it's like no competition. <laughs> you know how people are like, "Oh, which which girlfriend's character are you?" Yeah. Mm, I am clearly Zicky. Okay. Well, I'm gonna remember that when I watch it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Don't forget, y'all. Catch us at Pod and Live NYC on May 11th with all of the podcast homies. Make sure that you rate, review, repost, and retweet. Reply. And reply. Yes. And use the hashtag QueerWOCPOD to let us know your reactions to this episode. Yeah. So, yeah. This has been Money, the Black Twitter approved educator. And this has been Nikita, still thirsting for Lizzo's juice. And you just listened to Queer Walk, the podcast.